just about everything I could think of. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming to the Magic and Skepticism panel. I've just appalled somebody. What was that? Okay. Um, we've got some great panellists today. We've got Richard Wiseman, who's Professor of Public Understanding at the University of Hertfordshire and has written all of our favourite books, best-selling books on our bookshelves like 59 Seconds and Paranormality. He's also a magician. Uh, we've got John Edward, sorry, Mark Edward, not John Edward, the politician at all. <laughs> no relation at all. <laughs> And um, Mark is a mentalist and has written about seance theory extensively. You've got some books downstairs yes, as well, I haven't do. you, for yes. sale? Um, and is involved with the Centre for Inquiry on the West Coast. IIG. IIG. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we've got Paul Zenon as well. Scourge of, men, of um, psychics everywhere, because he can do it better than they can. <laughs> Street performer, mentalist, magician, and you've seen him all over the telly. So we're talking about magic and scepticism and how those two things go together. I guess I'd like to start by asking if the people on the panel were inspired by the original guys, people like Harry Houdini, really, who, who were debunkers at the same time as being illusionists. Yeah, I, I certainly was. I was a bit obsessed with Houdini as a, as a kid and still am. And I know Richard in his talk just now was talking about that. There's, there's something about the sort of teenage lad because Houdini's a sort of physical performer. Mm. Uh, you know, it, was, it sounds a bit suspect now, but me and my mate at school used to tie each other up for laughs, you know. Um, <laughs> it wasn't all boys' school as well. Um, but, um, but yeah, so Houdini's certainly an original uh, inspiration. Uh, and of course, James Randi being a magician uh, as well. So I think it's, it's just a case of um, it takes a thief to catch a thief kind of thing you know it's it's that um i think magicians are particularly good at, at spotting bullshit in general you know when did it happen for you uh well my grandfather was a magician and so i when i was a child i was his guinea pig and uh he the question was which my grandmother never really made clear was did my grandfather learn how to do did he learn sleight of hand in order to be able to catch he was a gambler catch people cheating or so he was an interesting fellow, and I think once you get bit by the magic bug and you're five or six years old, it's pretty hard to let go of it. And of course, Houdini was the whole thing about nothing can hold him and challenging death. That was, for me, that was like pretty cool. I like this. Um, I got into magic because my grandfather as well, actually, who uh, used to visit. He only knew one trick, which is quite a good thing. You don't want to know too many. Uh, and I used to visit him at the weekends, and he'd make a coin disappear, and it would appear inside a box, inside another box, and so on. And I always used to want to know how this was done, because it's a very good trick. And he was very wise, because he said, oh, I'm not going to tell you how it's done. All I'm going to say is that the answer is in a book in the library. Very good. Which was a very shrewd thing to, yeah. to say. So it was great. So I, I went there and read all about magic, and as, as Mark says, uh, once that kind of because there's something about the mentality of magicians uh, means that once you read about magic, oh, that's for me, and, and that's you know you're just going to spend your whole life involved in the movement, um, in addition to not going out much. So um, and so it's it's yeah, this is an odd odd thing. Magicians have a certain mentality, and I, I think it's it's a very close knit community actually. Magic. It does seem when people take up magic that they take it up at a young age, and then that's it. People don't decide to be a magician when they're 35, do they? No, mo most people it's sort of eight to ten, and and then they're sort of involved in the movement in one way or another. Sometimes they'll go away and get a proper job, and and, and so on. But uh, for the most part, no, it's a, it's, a, it's something about. Um, Sort of make you know about the, the cleverness of magic and the history of magic and putting it's, things it's into boxes power. and power. You're a yeah, child, it's, it's power over the other children. Right? 
Yes, that's Sorry, right. Sorry, maybe it's just me. But. I, I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to do a, a sort of profile of the magicians, because I think, you know, the majority would be only children. Yep. It's a very solitary <laughs> playing with your deck, we used to call it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but also, I think probably the same sort of people that years ago would have got into Dungeons and Dragons, mm. uh, or possibly serial killing. It's kind of a similar, <laughs> you know, there but for the grace of, oh no, it's the wrong place. Well, it's an odd skill set, because at one level you've got to be able to lock yourself away and practice card tricks all the time on your own, which is a very solitary, introverted thing. But then if you are going to be a performer, you need to go out and actually talk to people, and so that's a very extroverted thing. So it's a very strange kind of skill set. And a lot of magicians don't perform. Uh, they'll just rehearse and, and, and just show their friends or whatever. So there's a complexity to, to magic as well. But it's, a, it's a, a, full of very strange people, which is why I love it so you know, much. Outside, Me too. Uh, it seems, uh, I remember looking at stuff when I was a kid, um, and it was more—it was, it was more sort of conjuring tricks with with hardware, sawing ladies in half and things. In the last 20 years or so, mentalism has come in. There has been an understanding and a use of psychology, subtle psychology, and I guess that's where the um, the spiritualism kind of. Well, uh, one distinction we probably, I think you're right, one distinction we should make is between sort of physical magic, which is sort of um, sleight of hand or box tricks or, or, or whatever, which is closer to, in terms of psychic stuff, spoon bending and physical seance phenomena, you know, ghosts appearing and, and objects flying around the room, and mental magic, uh, which is about mind reading and, and uh, allegedly contacting the spirits. So that's a, the, the psychologies are quite different. And then you have this rather weird thing, which is psychological magic, which Darren Brown and others have been doing uh, very successfully in this country, which is where you are using a lot of the magic skills to give the impression of having psychological <clears throat> skills um, without actually having those skills. It's, I think the whole thing has become uh, both magic and... Uh, mentalism is an unfortunate term seen as Alan Partridge reappropriated it a few mm. years ago. But um, the, the thing they have in common is the minimalist thing, and I think it's actually a practical thing for magicians. Years ago, you could do seasons in a theatre, you know, you do a summer season or a panto run or whatever, and carry a lot of equipment round. It was feasible to do, and now it's not. You know, um, so basically, I mean, if I, I carry next to nothing myself, but I, I, I've had to cut down just because of the cost of baggage on a flight, for example, mm. you know. So there's a kind of whole minimalism in everyday props, which was where the, the street magic kind of thing became mm -hmm. popular on TV. Um, so I think it's, it, there's a parallel in the terms of, of you know, making it look more realistic, I suppose, is the word, isn't it? You know, why would you have a brightly painted box with yeah. fake Chinese characters on it if you could actually levitate, you right. know? It's, uh, for, for me, yeah. I, it, it's, it's like a... a just when I started getting into pure mentalism was I, I questioned most magic has no reason to happen. You take a red silk handkerchief and you, and then the green one comes out, it's like there's yeah. no greater referential universe. When you're doing mentalism, you're suggesting that there's this whole other world. And for me, I found that people who are thinking people, kids love the green and the red, but try doing mentalism for them. But yeah, when they sure. get to be maybe 15 to 25, and they're all questioning all the stuff we're here questioning, it seems to play a lot stronger. So I think there's there's some something about mentalism, it it seems more real. I know that sounds crazy, but people yeah, think they they want to say to themselves, well, yeah, that handkerchief trick, very clever sleight of hand. But when he told me that serial number on that dollar bill. That yeah. wasn't it's, it's because it relates to them and it affects them emotionally rather yeah. than just yeah. kind of, oh, it's a puzzle. Absolutely. You know? There's also the whole issue of framing, which is when you go to a magician, you frame it as a magic show. You're trying to work out how the trick's done or enjoying it or whatever. 
But if you go and see a psychic, the framing is not a magic store. You're not looking for any trickery. So often if you go to a, a physical seance, the trickery itself is appalling, but they're getting away with it because people have framed it as, 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 right. as, a, as a particular thing. And the same with a psychological illusionist. You're not framing that as a magic show, so you're not looking for trickery. And of course, that framing has changed over time. So in you know, the turn of the century, people believed that spirit communication was possible. So lots of magicians said, oh, I'm a spiritualist and, and, and I can do this trickery. Nowadays, we don't believe that so much, but we do believe in the, you know, psychologically subtle signals picking up from one another. So you frame the performance as that, and people are not looking at, at trickery, so for trickery. It's the same effect, essentially. A lot of people who go into spiritualism and psychic uh, performance end up reporting similar to magicians that they start from a very early age you know oh I had my revelation when I was seven or eight or something and it's actually it's it's a lifetime identity for them as it is with magic um, do you think it, that the people who are receiving that, that their clients in effect that there is just a, a, a low bar f for wanting the proof or do you think that people <coughs> have just really really developed their cold reading skills I mean, is it possible to do that without deliberately, intentionally doing so? Oh, I think absolutely, yeah. I mean, absolutely. you come up with general statements. People say, yes, you think, my goodness, this, this person's endorsing what I'm saying. Maybe I do have these abilities. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, I, and I imagine, I don't know, putting a figure to it, 80, 90% of medium psychics are like that. Then you've got 10%. I have no idea where these figures are coming from, but roughly. Um, <laughs> uh, they come from the spirit world. I'm hearing 15% uh, <laughs> on it. Who, who are then going out and faking it? And there's books and there's DVDs and, and mm -hmm. on, on how to fake it. Uh, but I absolutely think most of them are sincere in, the, in their beliefs. Well, Mark would know about that. Uh, I, I, I've, I got my statistics turned around there. I think 80, 80 to 90% of them are outright charlatans and know what they're doing. And the 10% maybe that's left over are seriously deluded who think they have something or they're just crazy. Is, is there a difference between the people who occupy different economic niches though? I mean if you've got some sort of old dear who accepts a tenor every so often right, right. is she as likely to be an outright charlatan as somebody oh, who's filling a theatre? The really? old dears, the old dear in my book I have some old dears with their cardigan sweaters and as soon as the as soon as the crowd is gone, they're like, "Somebody roll me a joint. Where's a beer?" You know, they change completely. They change completely. It's a financial thing. I think basically, um, I've never seen um, a medium who does a theatre show, a, a big stage mm. show, yeah. that it, that actually believes in their own powers. It's yeah. all, you know, yeah, for, exactly. in my personal opinion, they're pretty much all fake. Yeah. Um, when you get to people in the spiritualist church who are not making money from it, they're, you know, quite often believe it. But I think, you know, even the ones that believe it are subconsciously using cold reading. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in the way that we all do to a certain extent, if someone walked in that room now, depending on what they were wearing, their hairstyle, the right. way they walked, right. you'd make assumptions about their, whether they're working class, middle class, about their sexual orientation, whatever it Some may be. Some people don't know? even know they're doing it. No, absolutely. Like there, there no, is, I think we all do it there is on somebody a subconscious level. who now works for JREF, and she was a psychic, and then she saw the Penn and Teller episode. Anybody see the Talking to the Dead, the pilot of Penn and Teller? Anyway, that was the show I did, and she, I talked about cold reading, so she thought she was the real thing, and then she saw this show, and she realized she was doing cold reading. So now she works for JREF, so there is hope.
Yeah, part, part of the problem as well, I think, if, even if you kind of go, well, they're not really doing any harm because they actually believe it and it's this little, uh, little church they all go to once a week. The problem is that a lot of the fake psychics use that as a training ground, That's basically, right. you know, yeah. uh, oh, mentioning absolutely. no names, but uh, there was a certain person who um, was spotted at the back of a spiritualist church a couple of weeks before they were doing mm. a theatre show with a notebook. And so mm -hmm. basically, they pretty much guarantee that people who believe in spiritualism are going to be right. at a psychic show, so they'd already got the information from there, you know. One, of, one of my first experiences when I first became aware of the, the mediumship bracket was in the late 70s, and I saw on, on television this guy named Eli, and he came out and did the same thing John Edward and all these guys do, and I was like, wow, that guy's really, how the hell is he doing that? So at the time, I worked in a magic shop on Hollywood Boulevard, so I remember the guy, a couple of days later, he walks into the magic shop. And I was like, wait a minute. And he goes right over to where all the mentalism props are. And I said, aren't you afraid some of your believers are going to see you in here? You know, he says, sometimes I've got to be right. So then I knew, I was like, okay, he's, he's doing magic tricks. And that was really the beginning of where I, I was very interested and fascinated by that difference. Mm. Because even as a magician, I didn't see it. I was... It's, you know, it's just as Richard was saying before about how you frame it, you know, yeah. and the, the, the thing is when someone goes and sees a, a psychic, they're not looking for trickery, but also they have a vested interest, they, they kind of yeah. need to believe, you know, and the longer they have believed, the, the more kind of la 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 when something is pointed out as a fraud. Well, I, I think it's similar to going to your doctor, the doctor says, well, you know, what, what's the problem, what's the symptoms, and you go, well, you're the expert, you tell me. <laughs> um, you wouldn't do that, you would help them. You know, and that, that's the context in which people are going to psychics. They want help, and so you work together um, with it. And, and so with the people that fall themselves, it's all to do with the Barnum statements, or a lot of it's to do with the Barnum statements, very general statements we all accept about ourselves, so, uh, which, which, strangely enough, are all positive. Um, so things like you uh, get the impression you've got a lot of uh, untapped creative ability. Uh, we all go, oh, yes, that's very insightful. Um, <laughs> and my favorite Barnum statement is, I get the impression you're the sort of person that accepts quite general statements about themselves. <laughs> It strikes me that actually that magic is a very useful transferable skill because if you weren't to be, if you weren't to be That's a psychic, the of magicians, you yes. could just be. <laughs> yeah, well, really. yeah. You could just be a very that. ruthless salesperson. Well, I think salespeople are are good psychics in yeah, that, that they sense. Are. There's absolutely. some, you know, that absolutely. They're, they're they're probably making a lot more money as psychics and possibly doing a lot more harm as well. So we should have a big anti-salespeople panel, not an anti-psychics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like it's like Paul said. It's like a shoe sales. And if they've been selling shoes for 30 years, as soon as you walk in the door, they know what shoes you're going to buy, pretty much. Sure. Now, is that psychic? No, it's the Dale Carnegie course in, in salesmanship. You know, they look at your shoes, your jewelry, your hair, and they just will, they'll just go, well, these are on sale. And, you know, yeah. they just know. So, I mean, but nobody says to them, wow, you're incredibly intuitive. It's just a matter of doing it over and over yeah. every day. I'm kind of interested in the ones as well that started out as fakes and end up mm. believing in their own powers, you know, because they've just lived it so long. There's a certain guy who bends spoons. Um, and <laughs> there's um, one of the many. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I was like... Mm, uh, um, he, uh, you know, started in the, I think it was the 70s, uh, you know, when first came to prominence. But he's lived with it, and I wonder whether his family buy into it, because he, he, it's just 24 hours, this automatic response to any question relating to what he does. And I think he probably does actually believe yeah, it I, himself I, now. Well, you I, know, you know what happens is you, in this world, and that's, that's what is in my book, because I... Have you got a book out, Mark? In, Sorry, in, I was just... Infiltrated... 
happy dancing book time. Anyway, uh, what I found is, yeah, that's part of the, the acceptance and the rationalization is you start to get testimonial letters. You know, you get a one hit, like a random hit. There's a hit in this book that I got on the radio. And I got all these testimonial letters. Oh, bless you, your gift, bless you. You know, you start to get a bunch of those and you go, do I really want to do that 4A's trick again? Hmm, you know? And, yeah, sure. and I think another aspect of mentalism in the last 10 years, and you guys may disagree, but you make more money when you do mentalism than standard magic. It's not like doing a kid's birthday party. It's, it's kind of why I gave up when, you know, brought up in the 70s, there was a whole, the whole new age thing was there. Yeah. Uh, I did my A-level general studies paper on, uh, on pyramid energy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, everything from kind of the Eric Von Daniken stuff, the, you know, crop circles yeah, hadn't oh, quite started yeah, then. But, um, so I got into a kind of, I used to work at a, a joke shop and magic shop in Blackpool and yeah. Uh, used to sell tarot cards amongst other things, so right. I got, got interested, and I, I was, you know, it was a genuine interest, believing in it, doing that and palmistry. Um, and some guy, a magician called Joe Riding, wrote a book about kind of how to fake it, you know, uh, the tarot made easy, or in being from Blackpool, uh, the tarot, as he used to call it. <laughs> and um, so when I went backpacking doing street shows uh, around, around the Greek islands, um, I, there were a lot of places we couldn't do street shows, and so I set up in a bar doing palm and tarot readings. Which and is which did you do better with? Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of made a lot more money with that, uh, but the problem was that you realise how easy, you know, how, oh, how, yeah. how affected people are. Yeah. You know, and the reason I gave all that up in the first place and got an interest in, in sort of debunking was um, there was some, I mean, it's, it's great, it's a Greek island, I'm working to British tourists going, I can see travel over water, you know, it was, kind of, <laughs> it was, it was a piece of piss. And, um, but there was this um, uh, Italian girl came to see me and uh, she was obviously distraught, uh, which came up with a friend and it was a reading, so you do the, the indicator card initially and it was the death card. I got great. no control over that, so she <laughs> back. And she'd come because her, hosp uh, her father had just been hospitalised uh, with a heart attack and she was worried about whether he would die or not. And so try explaining that the death card doesn't yeah, necessarily right mean death, you know? <laughs> and a couple of things happened like that. There was, a, you, know, a, you know, much better examples were when a, a guy with tattoos who was pissed every night used to drive off on a motorbike and I told him he should be careful of an accident and he came off his bike and had a queue around the block the next day, you know? Um, but you kind of realise how, how something so simple and people buy into it and I wasn't comfortable with that, you know? Mm, mm. And I think th this you were saying about why magicians get into it because of the power thing. And I think more so with, with psychics. Oh, absolutely. You know? And so it is that having an influence. If they've got, no, you know, if they've got a personality disorder in general, but they can actually affect someone. You know. But there's a lot of magicians who, in other words, you had a chance to develop your intuitive skills, but there are a lot of magicians that couldn't give a good reading to save their life. Sure, yeah. Because they, they, in their mind, it's everything's a trick, and I'm going to fool you, and you're going to be fooled by this. And it, it's... Uh, so there's a lot of magicians who would like to break into the field, but yeah. thankfully they, they're never going to be able to yeah. do it. I won't say never, but it's a lot more difficult. I've only ever given one reading in my entire life. It was at a party, my own party, actually. And I did it as a joke because I got some tarot cards, and I knew where the death card was. And there's a magic thing you can do where it looks like the person's got a free choice, but you're forcing them to choose a particular card. So my friend was there, and I said, choose any card, and we'll do a tarot reading. And I forced him the death card. I said, don't worry, it's just about new beginnings. Um, put it, it is. Put it, it is. It is. Yeah, it is. So I said, put it back, and we'll shuffle, and we'll do it again. And I forced him it a second time. <laughs> and I said, that is curious. That is odd. That's odd. Put it back. 
third time, he pulls it out. And he was shaken. He was shaken. And in the end, I said, no, it was a fourth, and, and, and so on. But you have got that thing. It's very difficult for people to flip out of that mindset because it's a bit creepy and it's a bit negative. And it's, mm -hmm. so these things do affect people. And that's oh, why I think you know, a lot of, uh, again, mentioning no names, but uh, uh, the couple that I've had kind of fairly close contact with of uh, stage mediums, TV mediums, I, I do suspect that they are sociopaths. You know, they, mm -hmm. they've got no Absolutely. empathy with anyone. Absolutely. And they, they kind of sort of assimilate, you know, I mean, there's, there's one, it's very difficult not to mention names because they're all legal nonsense, but you there's one who... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think they can guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's one in particular who, if you watch their early work on YouTube or whatever, they've actually changed character. Uh, they've gone from being sort of quite quietly spoken, trying to appear intelligent and gentle, into, um, you know, a bit cockney and a bit wee. So and, there's uh, a stage persona being Yeah, developed. that's right. They've, they've realised oh, that absolutely. that works better. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the housewife superstar syndrome, you know. Yep. Yeah. And we have somebody, I won't mention any names, but it has to do with Long Island, uh, who uh, I did a uh, inside edition about, and she is like, I can mention Sylvia Brown because she's dead. Anyway, uh, she's like but Sylvia she? Brown. Yeah, <laughs> do we know for sure? That's why. Why is it? Ever, oh, she's down why here. is it ever a problem when you know um, psychics die? You know, yeah. it's kind of it's, it's not going to affect the communication, presumably, is it? You know? But but the thing is, Sylvia Brown. If any anybody ever see her perform. She is rude. I mean, she's mm. brash and rude. And I think after seeing her and seeing this person from Long Island in person, their stage persona is so mean that I think people go, well, no nice, no psychic could possibly. She can't be fake because she's so down to earth and real. Mm. But like you said, she's developed, or they have developed, this persona that I, is, I think uh, it's happened at the same time as, as with reality TV, you know, I mean, if you, right. if you look at variety shows on TV, you know, you, uh, Britain's Got Talent, X Factor, it's all about the ordinary person becoming the, the star. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you look back, you know, prior to that, it was kind of untouchable icons, you know, and I think it's the same with, with psychics, you know, if you get something like Alexander, the turn of, you know, turn of the last century, uh, it would wear the turban and have all these kind of exotic Egyptian drapes and all the rest of it, right. and it, it looked otherworldly. Whereas now, it's someone who, you know, yeah, you might turn bump completely into in the, in Why are their spirit guides always you know? incredibly exotic, by the way? Why aren't they Malcolm from, you know, Dalston, who died in 1960? That's right, yes. It's, ne it's never a dustbin man floating outside the window at, uh, in a shell suit. I think it, one know? of the things about what we're talking about, because I, at the Magic Castle, I did seances for many, many years. And, I mean, it says, the Magic Castle on the front of the building. You know, it's clear it's a magician's club, private club. But I would do a seance and, you know, it's, it's an emotional impact on people. It, and they're in the dark and when you hold your, everybody holds hands, in that first minute, there's so much anticipation. And I think part of it is like we we're talking about tarot cards, is a lot of people don't know what to expect. When they see the death card, that's like, even if they've never had a reading, there's an automatic visceral feeling to it. Same with, they don't, people don't know about seance, so when they sit down in a seance room, the, that's my favorite part, is the first 10 seconds in total darkness holding hands. After that, it's all just a Disneyland ride, you know? But there's that what if thing going on, and I think that is part of why people like mentalism, is because they just don't know about it. But now we're almost reaching saturation point. We'll see in the next 10 years, you know. Maybe standard magic will die off and it'll just be all these mind, you know, mind freak can, type can, things. Can I ask you a question? Just, just yes, about absolutely. I mean, I, I, where do you stand on, on saying whether you're psychic? If, if you are a professional entertainer as right. a mentalist, right. 
do you sort of condone actually saying it is down to psychic powers, or do you err on the side of sort of Darren Brown, where it's all done through natural means? I, it depends on the venue. Okay. <laughs> but you think it's okay in, in terms of a, a... Well, let's put it this way. If an agent hires me to... He's going to build a seance room for me, and he's going to have me do a seance in character. I'm not going to say anything, because that's what he wants. But if it's a situation like this, or I'm working with IIG, or I'm working with Randy or whoever, then I, they know I'm there because I'm a skeptic. So I, disclaimers is very tricky for me. Sure. But how about you? <laughs> me, no, I'm, you know, I think that it's, it's a weird distinction because, you know, magicians lie for a living, uh, therefore they're the most honest the people. Honest, you know, most honest people. Politicians, car salesmen, you know, even doctors yeah, yeah. don't tell the truth as a, as a matter oh. of course, you know, whereas magicians always do. The, the, the premise is that we use trickery, whereas actually mentalists and certainly psychics do the opposite. But I, I think there is a very clear line on this, which is about... When people, when an audience finds out what you actually are, do they feel like you've abused that relationship? So if you go and see Copperfield and he floats, and then somebody uh, would say to you, this is how he did it, you go, well, that's really clever, but you wouldn't go, oh, God, what a but. I, I, sorry, I, what? Where if, if you go to a fake a seance show and you think it's a genuine seance, and then say, no, 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 I'm in contact with the spirits, it's this and this, you go, oh, my God. And I think that's the same line with mentalists. Once you tell someone what you're, and psychological illusions, once you tell someone what they've actually seen, do they go, no, you've abused some kind of contract there. I didn't know that's what I was looking at. Yeah. I think it's a very straight line. Well, there's, there's people, there's wiggle room. I don't think there is. No, I don't think there is. You say to somebody, there is no wiggle room. There, there can be no wiggle room, I and mean, we must not have wiggle room. I'm okay. very anti-wiggle room. I know, but wait, I will wait, not wait. have wiggle okay. rooms. How about if I said I'm not this. having wiggle rooms. Okay. Are wiggle rooms covered in your book? I will no, not buy the book no. if there's any mention of wiggle no, rooms. No, no, no. There's Did no, he mention there's there's no wiggle rooms? <laughs> no, I just want to point out, okay, <clears throat> we all know who Banachek is, right? He's in charge of the Randy Million Dollar Challenge, okay? Do we respect him as a skeptic? Of course we do. He uses a line that was made up, a dear friend of mine, Ned Rutledge, and the line is, when they, his disclaimer is, I use the five senses to create the illusion of a sixth, Okay. No, but then you say to the audience, you saw Banachek apparently read someone's mind, it was this. And if they go, oh, yeah, it was really clever, I knew it was something like that, I didn't realize it was that. If right. they go, oh, God, and I didn't realize it was a, um, he found out the information in advance, I thought it was like body language. Right. If they feel abused, then yeah. I think they've got the point that it's, it's up to what the audience experience after you tell them the truth. With a magician, they would never go, I feel abused now. They'd just go, that's really clever, I knew what I was looking at. So yeah, I, I, would, yeah. I would put the, the, the emphasis very much on their experience once they find out the truth if they ever do. Well, I think it's semantics as well, you know, I mean, it's, it's someone like, you said, psychological illusionist, you know, Darren Brown being the most obvious, even though the thing about body language or your left eye twitched and you lifted your elbow, therefore you're thinking of three of spades, yeah. even though that's a, a bullshit explanation itself, it's conceivable and it's not a psychic right. power, that's it's right. using something right, that right. does exist, like, you know, reading body language, whereas actually if you use the word psychic at any point, that puts you in a whole different league, mm. you know, uh, and that's when you start, because I think the promotion of the idea that there are such things as psychic powers is the dodgy area, yes, you know, it it's dangerous grounds. You know, Very I didn't dangerous. see a lot of psychics jumping out of the, uh, the woodwork when the uh, Malaysian plane went missing, you know, mm. and you go, that, that's the kind of belief that you're fostering by <laughs> using 
trickery to, to show that you're psychic. But I think, you know, mentalism is one thing, but saying that you're actually psychic is an entirely different thing. We didn't, did we see a lot of psychics come out of the woodwork for the Malaysian? No. 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 You know but, why? But when, it, but when it's found, they will do. They'll say that they yeah, had a dream exactly. prior they to it. They wait until afterwards that they yeah. say, I had this dream. But in the 50s, 40s and 50s, people would, it was called hurling the headlines. Mentalists would come out and they would make all these statements. You don't see that any, so much anymore because no. now if you say, I see an airliner going down, TSA people are gonna come and knock on your door and say, uh, how did you happen to get that prediction? So I've, I've been watching this latest thing and it's pretty interesting. People are pretty closed now. Yeah, and, and also in the old days before the internet, you know, you would make a prediction by sealing something in an envelope and yeah. leaving it in a press office and there's ways of manipulating That's that right. after the effect. Whereas now, if you're gonna predict something or you know where a missing plane is, why are you not saying where it is on the internet? And the information is highly retrievable as well. If mm. you go around yeah. making loads of predictions, then people are gonna notice only one 100 comes true. Yeah. Um, Richard, when you, do you think, because you, you've ended up with a rationalist attitude, but you started out as a magician, do you think that one helps to lead to the other? Uh, there are lots of magicians who are sceptics in, in terms of the paranormal. I would say the majority are, but not all. I mean, there, there are uh, very strong Christian magicians who um, teach the That's gospel right. via... Uh, piss poor magic tricks. Um, <laughs> it is hilarious. I mean, it's, 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 the best it's thing worth ever. Do, do a Google search on gospel magic. Yes. Water the, to wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but water to wine would be good compared yeah. to changing a silk scarf with a picture of the devil into a picture of Jesus. It's, you know, it's it's the, it's, it's, it is the best I, thing I've, ever. I've got a collection of little books that are you know, written by magicians and clowns for other looking clowns, and, uh, <laughs> there's, um, and it, there's one called Dewey's Galo uh, sorry, Gospel Balloon Magic, and, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's balloon modelling and tricks to, to preach the gospel. It is hilarious. It's very good. You know, we haven't had mentalism and balloon magic yet. No. no you could <laughs> predict what doggy someone was going to uh, uh, choose. Um, so so there's that. there have been magicians, uh, quite high-profile magicians, who have believed in the paranormal. Um, but again, it's, it's pretty rare. But most magicians are pretty sceptical about it. Because it seems to be a conduit around to, to rational thinking. Yeah, I think if you spend your whole life lying and realizing how people can be deceived, then you have that underlying. Once someone else says, oh, actually, it's genuine, you just get that gut feeling of, no, you're a liar. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's probably what's going on with it. The, the believers that are magicians that I have met are people who haven't developed critical thinking. In other words, I've met a couple mentalists who have coincidental experiences like we all have, but since they're in this rarefied atmosphere of the seance room or being on stage, mm -hmm. they, they attribute that to some higher thing that's going on, and it's like, no, it's just a coincidence. Oh, there's no way in a million that could have happened while I'm on stage. Well, what difference does it make whether you're on stage or walking on the beach, you know? So I've met a few magicians that are believers, and it's really hard to understand. You know, mm, it yes, really is. It's like, yeah. okay, whatever. Yeah. Are there any demographic similarities that you found between people who you would say would go to psychic shows and believe in stuff at psychic shows and um, people who are prone to believe in or fall for magic tricks more easily? Well, I mean, the vast majority of magicians are male. Uh, the vast majority of people going to psychics are female, so there's a difference there. I don't know about psychics themselves. I think they probably tend to be female rather mm. than, than male. Yeah, the um, so, so in terms of a sort of sex split, that would be the obvious um, one. Um, but why that's the case, I mean, most magic 
uh, sort of most magicians have a sort of a pooling into personal skills, which is why they're doing magic. Um, uh, so, uh, and of course, what's happening with the psychic stuff is it is all about being interpersonal. So maybe there's a sort of split. Well, it's, it's also the, the kind of you know stereotype female intuition. You know, people yeah. are more likely to trust a woman in in terms of it, you know being a bit ethereal rather than mm -hmm. kind of you know uh, male you know, magicians use solid props yes. in the main. You know, um, yeah. I'm surprised there aren't actually more female mentalists in terms of mm. you know entertainers. Witches. Witches. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps they've been burnt. Yes. Yeah. Nothing find, derogatory find, in that term. That's what I like about. <laughs> I find it interesting that uh, there aren't a lot of male psychics, but handwriting analysis and graphology, men... Because it's, it's more pseudoscience than yeah, it is. Yeah, they, all, they wear a coat and tie, and they look like a professor, you know, and people are like, oh, well, I'm not going to go for that tarot thing because handwriting analysis is so much more scientific. <laughs> it cracks me up. It's all the same, really. I mean, it's a system. Any system, you, you can read cat turds if you want to, you know? It's just have a system, you know? A certain thing means a certain thing, and if you, if you learn it and you practice it, people come to you and go, okay, whatever, use panther bones, what, you know? But uh, handwriting analysis has this scientific edge to fact, it, you know? Um, one of the biggest selling novelty books in the States, which has sold millions, is uh, Paw Mystery, mm -hmm. which is reading your cat's paw. Uh, <laughs> I read a dog's paw once at a party. A woman asked me to read her dog's paw. The feeling that you've serious. buried something somewhere. That's right. <laughs> they were dead serious. It's an amazing story. <laughs> um, what about um, what do you guys see as the future of magic? Yeah, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> it's basically, I'm hoping one more card <clears throat> trick will be invented uh, because I'm I, I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, what's the future of magic? Uh, the internet is the biggest problem. Uh, in my day, you had to work hard to find out how a trick was, was done. Uh, nowadays, it's very easy, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a problem because, you, in a sense, you're not working for the solution, so you're not valuing it, I, mm -hmm. I, I think. Um, so I think that, that poses, in, in a sense, the biggest threat because magicians are naturally a secretive lot, and the internet is, in a sense, the, the opposite mm -hmm. of that. But then you've got the other side of it, which is that magic doesn't really ever translate on camera in quite the way. It's a live experience. And so to some extent, we're, we're reasonably safe in terms of stuff appearing on the web. I think people always want to see magic live, would be my mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the part of the problem with the magic thing on TV, it kind of had a rebirth with the street magic thing, which I think was about sort of 97 onwards, and that was kind of the, you know, the wobbly handheld David, um, sort David of Blaine David Blaine stuff, um, MTV sort of styly thing. Um, and, but there was still a kind of ethic to it on screen because it wasn't, you know, the, the idea that it was a handheld camera, you couldn't do jump cuts, oh, no. you know, and all no that editing stuff. there, right? Uh, right. <laughs> um, so there was a little bit of cheating going on then, but now it's, it's reached saturation, I think, with, with the, the sort of Dynamo and Troy stuff that's on at the moment. They are using Stooges and they are using CGI, not for everything, but enough, you know, the, there's, there's a kind of content for the viewing public that yeah. they are, they won't realise, you know, and it's, as soon as someone points it out on the internet, it spreads. So if, you know, it's, it's a bit of a sort of moral high ground for me because I've, I've, I've always avoided using street, uh, studios on the, the street magic specials. Uh, but the problem is with it that if you if you know that there's a stooge in a program, why would you not assume that all the people yes. in it are stooges? Right. Why not just make a film rather than do magic, use CGI for everything? And so it's it's kind of days days are numbered in that context on TV. But there'll probably be you know someone will have this bright idea soon of maybe doing a magic show in a TV studio with an audience, you know, and it'll be uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that'll be the new thing. But 
it, as, as Richard was saying, it's very <coughs> much a live medium. What you get as a close-up magician in particular is like, well, I don't really like that Copperfield stuff on stage because, you know, trapdoors or whatever. But when it's under your nose with your own ring or watch or, you know, uh, so it works that way. So I think it'll, magic will be around, long, you know, long after TV is you know, yes. a bit the dust, but uh, but on TV, I think it's got a, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a happy immediate future anyway. I think that part of the issue there, again, it goes back to the emotional impact of when it's on television <clears throat> and you're not seeing it right in front of you, it's the same thing <clears throat> as if you tried to get a reading so-called on television. It just, you're not, you're not, it's not intimate. You're not part of it. So that's what, as magicians, they can't take that from us, mm. you know, because we're playing one-on-one -on -one in a good situation when you're doing a close-up magic effect. And I think there, there's a, there's a, uh, you relate to people differently. When it's on television, it's just so overblown. And I think there's a problem as well with the uh, kind of psychics on TV. They fare a lot better than magicians. Because yeah. magicians, you go through a hell of a lot of material doing a TV magic show because the style of TV is now very fast cut. It's got to be short and immediate and transfer to YouTube right. as a two-minute thing, you know. Uh, whereas a, a psychic, they can, because of just it's, you know, pretty much editing techniques and what, what they call pre-show work, mm -hmm. uh, you know, getting, uh, getting the information beforehand, it's cheap TV. And I know quite a few of the psychics who are currently on TV are not even getting paid a fee for their programs because it's promotion for live. That's right. And so they make the money on the theatre shows, 25 quid a ticket, doing, you know, 2,000 seat theatres. So they're happy to do the TV for free. The TV are happy to have them there because it's a cheap show and it does get viewing figures, you know. Okay, well, we've got 10 minutes left. Do we have any questions for the panel? Oh, the first one there. That went fast. Hi, I just wanted to ask um, about the idea of um, extraordinary claims and extraordinary evidence. I know someone from Albania who swears blind that he saw a stage um, artist, as he called it, um, sever their arm and then reattach it. Obviously, I said, <laughs> okay, yeah, not, not convinced, but his extraordinary evidence was that he saw it with his own eyes. So I just wondered about the... Um, whether it's potentially that he comes from a different culture, he comes from a different educational background. I just don't understand how someone could literally just believe that that was possible. I, I think it's, it's, it's a, a kind of um, enhanced memory thing. I mean, the, the, the trick that springs to mind there is the big sort of meat cleaver through the arm, which does, we, I did it on one of the specials years ago, and it goes back to uh, what's generally acknowledged as the first magic book written in 1584 or whatever, Scott. Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft. And it's a fake knife, but, but it does look incredibly real, but it doesn't actually sever the arm to come right off, but it does look as though there's blood pouring out and the blade looks as though it goes two-thirds of the way through your arm. So my guess is that's what he's seen, but you know, in the telling of the story, he's not just going to say, I saw this guy with a knife, it might have been a treat, I don't know. Because he's told the story, it'll enhance it slightly more, so it's that Chinese whispers thing, and it builds, you know. So that's, that, you know, that's the problem that when, you know, if you're going to do a, a dine out on a story, you enhance it every time you tell it, you know. So I think that's probably what's happened. I, I can say my grandmother now, my grandmother was married to a magician, <clears throat> but she swore to me as a kid, she saw Houdini, and she said he walked through a brick wall. They built the brick wall on the stage, brick by brick, and she saw him dematerialize from one side to the other side of the wall. She's married to a magician, but people have blind spots. Yeah. If it's an effective performer like Harry Houdini, 
You believe what you want to believe. Which we should say, he did walk through a brick wall as a, as a stage thing, and it was yeah. built, you know, on stage, yeah. which must have been a thrilling show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, no, he, this is well, you know, yeah, he, but, he was but, telling the story, exactly, and the story yeah. is and, part of it, you know. But, but anyway. the, the, the truth of the matter is that there's a couple of cabinets put either side, yeah. and so he goes in a cabinet, and you don't see the point where he goes through the actual <laughs> wall. But, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's not, so not it's, an interesting anecdote, then, is it? It's the Chinese it? whisper. I haven't heard that, too. That's telephone, right? Same idea. He's kind of passing Tele on other information. Words, you pass the information time, yeah. from person to person, and by the time you get to the third person, it's a miracle. Well, it sharpens up each time because people, if you say, I saw a magician, saw a woman in half, and someone goes, well, well the box is quite big. Could have been two women. You go, oh, now I look like an idiot because I was impressed by this thing and you're not. So next time you tell the story, there are very small boxes. There couldn't possibly have been two women. Um, so it's, it's sort of social contract. You're, I'm telling you something extraordinary and I'm not a fool. Um, so sometimes people have paranormal experiences. A lot of people will say, I used to be a skeptic and then this thing happened. You know, I, I live for the day when someone says, you know, I, I'm a credulous fool and I very often experience <laughs> precognition. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a social contract. A cl classic example is the Indian rope trick, isn't it? You know, the history of the Indian rope trick is now thought to be the fact that some American um, journalist made up the story uh, just to fill his kind of newspaper in 1850 or whenever it was. And, uh, but people do sort of remember seeing it in the days of the Raj and whatever. And it turns out that the photograph that had inspired it was actually of Chinese acrobats who used to balance on a bamboo pole. Um, so it wasn't a rope at all, but you get, get where it all comes from. So this story is kind of retold and passed on uh, to the extent that there are people in India reenacting the Indian rope trick, the traditional historical rope trick for the tourists. It never existed there, you know? No, another question? Did you want to say? No, no, it's not. Oh, okay. Sorry. Hi. Um, I was interested in the discrepancies between the panellists on how many psychics they believe are con artists and how many are genuine. And I was wondering whether the difference could be cultural, in that there's two British panellists who think one thing and, and, and an American panellist thinks another, and whether the difference in perception could be cultural, but whether there could actually be a difference in percentages of how many people are con artists and how many people aren't. Um, my impression of American culture is that it's much easier, um, it's much more accepted to be entrepreneurial, it's much more accepted that it's okay to make money, and it's okay to make a profit, and therefore it's more acceptable to go and make money um, as a psychic. Um, and I was wondering whether the panel thought there could possibly be any difference. I, I think so. I mean, you know, I think an interesting thing is if you look somewhere like India or whatever, whether, you know, there's no great sort of um, social security system, then it's a weird one because, you know, that they have to make money somehow. So it's kind of accepted for them in, in a similar way to America that you were saying, bizarrely. Um, but I think certainly if we're talking about, you know, um, Western Europe, I think the, 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 you know, litmus test is whether they charge money for it. It's, it's as simple as that. You know, if you have a genuine <laughs> gift and you think it's there to help people, why would you charge money, you know? Um, so, you know, that's, that's the question you need to ask. Uh, uh, some of the con artists are very clever with that because they'll do a lot of work for charity and they donate this money or whatever, but that's after the expenses have gone or that's mm. the show you hear about and the private readings, the way they make the money, you know? Uh, I mean, again, a very famous psychic used to do uh, uh, kind of all sorts of charity work, but uh, charged 60 pounds an hour for, for a reading and was working from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m seven days a week, you know, for a long time, but then realise that theatres make more money because you can multiply it, you know. But uh, as I say, yeah, I've never seen anybody do a theatrical performance as opposed to a one-to-one -one reading uh, where I've considered anything other than deliberate fake, fakery. 
nearly said the word fraud. I think Ooh. I know how you stand on this. Well, no, no, I, I would agree with, with Paul. I think if, if, you're, if they're charging and making lots of money, I'm sure there's a lot of fakery involved. Yeah. If you talk about people who are charging 20 quid for an hour or something, and uh, I, I find it difficult because to think that they're not fake, uh, they're, 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 that they are faking it, because you think, well, first of all, it's just not worth it money-wise, and, and, and second, you should be much better. Uh, uh, on it. Why are you asking so, so many questions? You know? yeah, that's right. Yes. My, my whole thing is if they're really psychic, why do they have to ask so many questions? They're supposed to know, you know? I mean, as soon as you see these people and they're like, does that mean anything to anybody? Well, yeah. you know, it's like... Well, there's a, there's a million dollars mean. waiting there for a start. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also there's a, a, you know, a lottery every week. And also, I, I think uh, one of the things that I experience is the worse the economy gets the more these people come out of the woodwork yeah. because they see that they just have to go to the local occult shop, pick up a pack of cards, learn a very remedial system, three cards or even one card. I've seen people just take the major arcana and do one card, you know. So, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's survival for some it's people. It's sort of rather cruelly. It tends to be when there's a, a war on as well. Yeah, because a lot yeah, of people are, they want know, to talk to I their mean, dead relatives. They, that's what happened in World War I. Well, World, World War I and the Boer War, you know, right from the kind of probably 1870s right through to the, so the Second think, World War. You know? I think personally we're in the... Helen Duncan. Helen Duncan, yeah. We're in the golden age of the con right now. Right now, I mean, we look at the spiritualist era and we think, oh, how stupid people were. Take a look around. You've got to be careful, though, because cold reading doesn't always work. I was once at the University of Ireland in Galway and uh, I proved, trying to prove that there was probably not life after death. And the people arguing the contrary position were actually psychics. And one poor bastard decided to do the presentation by just going and doing a cold reading of the crowd and he could not in a crowd full of Irish people find someone who'd passed over to the other side he was called Michael I think I can mention a name here without any sort of legal thing um, Sally Morgan when she was in Dublin uh, there was a somebody commented on the uh, the ticket reviews and whatever um, saying you know I wasn't really convinced I'd seen the stuff on TV and it was but this you know it all seemed a bit wishy-washy uh, I mean for Christ's sake uh, his name was Paddy or Patrick and he liked to drink <laughs> genius Just a, a, a quick question. Um, once you're dead and someone speaks to you, that's kind of one thing, but how come dead people can always tell the future as well? I, I can't actually see where that voice is coming from. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how do we answer that one? Uh, hmm, yeah. That's more sorry, of a comment than a question. Yeah. So what was the question again? I didn't fully hear that. Well, well, you're believing one unusual thing, but that's not enough. You clearly have to believe more than that. Um, there aren't people who go, well, yes, okay, you can talk to the dead, but they can't understand the future. There aren't people that, that stop halfway. If you believe one thing, you tend to believe the other. Yeah, I mean, you know, people who believe in new age nonsense tend to believe a lot of it, you know, pretty much everything. But I, you get so sick of, of hearing the phrase, oh, didn't see that coming, you know, whenever, a, you know, uh, Derek Akora as a car crash or whatever it is, you know, and, um, you know, which apparently that quote goes back to Chaucer. I didn't know that, but there's a, a whole thing about, uh, you know, a, a psychic should have seen it coming. Uh, but there's an assumption from people that if they can contact the dead, yes, they can also predict the future. It's, and it, like, and it's, it's like a gateway drug. Yeah. It's <laughs> if you buy into that, then you can say anything. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple lines that I use in big audiences. One of them is, uh, 
and it's really, I'll try it with this audience, okay? And I just want to just see, okay? May not work, but I'm getting an impression of uh, a clown walking through a graveyard and he's putting flowers on a grave. Does that mean anything to anybody? Well, it didn't work this time, but people make connections. You can say the most ridiculous things, and as long as they are there, they want you to succeed. So, and I was at Dragon Con, and I threw this line out, and a woman stood up and said, yeah, there was a guy in my hometown who used to go through and put flowers on the... Yeah, one, so, of, one of my favourite Barnum ones is, is the um, you got a, a, a small scar um, on this on knee. Your, on your leg. <laughs> yeah, and, right. uh, and, you know, if you insist on this knee, is great because it could refer to your right or my left or whatever way around. So it's either leg. And uh, I think it's something like, you know, over 50% of people will yeah. have a small scar somewhere near one knee. I was like, Shirley Ghostman did the, who's pretending to be a fake psychic, comedian pretending to be a psychic, and he used to go do the show in front of spiritualists where he'd say, I've got the impression someone's grandfather's died, and someone would go, yes, and goes, was it, was it sort of here, this part of the body? And the person would go, yes, and go, was he hit by a rhinoceros? <laughs> <laughs> And that is the perfect note on which to end this because we're out of time. Thank you very much Thank to the you. panel. Thanks.